Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Mobile Studio at the Wisconsin State Fair, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome. We are broadcasting from actually hump day at the Wisconsin State Fair. This is the middle day. The weather is absolutely glorious. Come out and say hi as I always start off the program here. We um, just want to make sure, I understand there's some people, I always say this, that don't believe that there was really the moon landing. Just in case anybody's doubting whether we're at the fair, give yourselves a big round of applause there. All right. There. Everybody is having fun. That's that's good. I, I got yelled at last night at an event. I was at an event, and uh, a friend of mine comes up to me and she says I've got a bone to pick with you and I'm thinking okay well that's not unusual that that happens a lot and she says I was listening and you were promoting things that were going on at the state fair and I said well yeah that that's kind of what I do when I'm here and she said well I heard you say that tomorrow that would be today and Wednesday at eight o'clock at the Associated Bank Amphitheater, right down the way here, that Herman's Hermits were playing. And you know, Peter Noon, who's the lead singer for Herman's Hermits, you know, there's a kind of hush all over the world tonight, and Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. And 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 my friend said, We're we're nooners and and I have a group of about fifteen or twenty people and we go on either Tuesday or Wednesday and we set up, we have we have like a picnic basket, we do all these things. We do this every year. And I said, Well that sounds like a lot of fun. That that's great. She said, No, you know, now you're telling all these people and everybody else is gonna be over there watching it, we're gonna have more difficulty getting in. And I said, Gee, sorry about that, but I guess you know, I you know it it's a great show and so at the risk of again upsetting my friend outstanding tonight uh that's going to be going on tomorrow uh ladies tomorrow night not only do you have hermits hermits playing at the associated bank amphitheater but on the state fair main stage there's rick springfield noah drake right see this lady here not rick springfield you know who's noah drake on general hospital i i've told this story before but it's true i i have you know, friends or acquaintances who will never ever call me up about anything except when Rick Springfield is coming to the area, playing at the Waukesha State Fair or, you know, wherever. And then all of a sudden people I haven't heard from from a couple of years will call up and say, do you have any contacts that can get me tickets to Rick Springfield? Not not Jimmy Buffett, not Bruce Springsteen, not the Rolling Stones. They ask if I've got contacts that can get them tickets to Rick Springfield. Well, tomorrow night, you really have your choice. You've got Rick Springfield on the main stage, and you've got the second night of Hermit's Hermits uh, for free on the Associated Bank stage. So um, come on out to the State Fair. The weather, like I say, is absolutely perfect. We love the opportunity to interact with listeners. Um, gentleman stopped by earlier. He, he, he takes rocks, and then he writes sayings on, on these rocks. And they're kind of like special rocks. I, mean, I came in today, and he'd left a couple. I got a chance to meet him. His name's Roy. And, you know, he, on a number of these rocks, he had written Wagner's Rule of Life number one, which is life is tough, get a helmet. And so I, it, I'm, I'm taking one of those rocks home. It's going on my desk uh, in my home office. So come on out to the State Fair. A lot of fun going on. We love it a lot. All right, let us get started. The New York Post 
is one of the rarest of entities. It is a conservative-leaning newspaper. You know, most newspapers, almost all major newspapers, have a tilt to the left. Some skew incredibly to the left. That is not the New York Post. This is the editorial um, that appears on pages two and three of today's New York Post. The headline on the first page of the paper, the New York Post is a tabloid. Here's what it says. The Post says, President Trump, America is scared and we need bold action. It's time to ban weapons of war. And they have a photograph of an AK-57 semi-automatic firearm. Here's what the New York Post, a conservative newspaper, writes. Two mass shootings within 24 hours in El Paso and Dayton, days after the garlic festival killings, three months after Virginia Beach, six months after Aurora, nine months after Thousand Oaks, ten months after Tree of Life, 15 months after Santa Fe High School, 18 months after Parkland, and in the wake of larger horrors like the Vegas concert and the Pulse nightclub massacres. God bless the people of El Paso, Texas. God bless the people of Dayton, Ohio, President Trump tweeted on Sunday. God save us all, sir. This is the New York Post. People all across the country are scared. Many feel like the country is spinning out of control. They're looking to their leaders for more than prayers. America is terrified. President Trump, you are positioned to assuage that fear. On gun control, you are a pragmatic centrist, someone who knows there is a vast majority of Americans who are not to the extreme left or the right on this issue. They just want the killings to stop. The editorial continues. Yes, we know the president regularly praises the Second Amendment and received the NRA support in the 2016 race. But the Second Amendment leaves ample room for regulating gun rights, just as every other constitutional right has its limits. And Trump has sneered at others for being afraid of the NRA when it comes to passing common-sense gun laws. He'd surely have rather had Congress pass a law banning bump stocks, although his administration got it done eventually through executive action. Plus, the NRA is falling apart at the seams these days, with insiders profiteering from hysteria-driven fundraising finally exposed. Far wiser to appeal now to the much more numerous Americans who hunt or keep guns for self-defense, but are all appalled by the endless string of mass shootings. Come up with answers now beginning, and this is again the New York Post, with the return of an assault weapons ban. We know the label doesn't actually describe a clear class of guns, and that some studies show that the last ban, in effect from 1994 to 2004, had a limited impact. But that simply means the next ban should be better written with a clear definition focused on factors like firepower, rate of fire, muzzle velocity, etc., not on cosmetic features. The Supreme Court has ruled that the Second Amendment protects the right to own guns in common use that doesn't cover semi-automatic weapons regularly used almost only in mass shootings. And then it goes on to say the ban would be part of a response, keep improving background checks, find wiser approaches to mental health, get every state to pass a red flag law, etc., etc. But it says, let's go for bipartisan action, maybe some sort of summit of top political leaders, maybe a high-powered commission full of people without political ambition, maybe both or more. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, this isn't the Washington Post. This is not the the New York Times. This is the New York Post front page editorial saying it is time to bring back the ban, the assault 
weapon ban that was in place from 1994 to 2004, but this time maybe try to do it right, maybe put some teeth into it. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, what do you think about that? When we did the show yesterday, we did a segment, and, and I, I will tell you, I, I'm still getting some hostile mail, uh, email about it, and that's okay, I can take it. Uh, my position is that, you know, for example, the Dayton shooter, he had a magazine that had 100 rounds of ammunition in it. Who needs a magazine that has a hundred rounds of ammunition in it? Now, you're, you're not going deer hunting with that. You're not going target shooting with that. It's a hundred rounds. Okay, this is something that I get it. If you're in the military, maybe you want a gun that can shoot a hundred rounds without reloading. But I do not believe an average citizen needs something like that. And again, it's that rapid firepower which allowed the guy in Dayton to, you know, shoot and kill, what, nine people and injure a whole bunch more in the 20 seconds that it took for law enforcement to confront him and take him down. But let's, let's go to that next step. All right, 414-799-1620. Is it time once and for all to say, you know, private citizens we don't need this particular type of firearm, which does have uses, no question about it, but when there is a mass shooting, it is almost always this type of weapon or some close variation to it. 414-799-1620, what do you think about the New York Post editorial? We will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back in just a minute, it's 1216. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. And and by the way, I, I understand when it comes to mass killings, that there, there's pretty much nothing you can do to guarantee that that's not going to happen. I mean, we've had these stories where the guy takes the truck and drives the truck down the, through the flower market in Nice or whatever and kills all sorts of people. There's always going to be the potential to do that. But it is true that when you look at a lot of the mass killings that have gone on in the United States, it's... It's a certain type of person, and it's also that person who's armed with a certain type of firearm. Now, again, that, does that mean that if you ban an AK-47, what's going to happen is that they're not going to be, they're not going to, you know, go in and take a pistol and start shooting? Well, of course, you can't guarantee that type of stuff, but you can perhaps minimize the carnage. And as I said yesterday, I see no reason at all that, you know, average citizens should be able to buy magazines with a hundred round capacity. I just, I see no purpose for that at all. Just like I see no purpose for these bump stocks where you can take an otherwise legal gun and convert it into a machine gun simply by, you know, spending 25 bucks. But New York Post says, look, enough is enough. It's time to reenact the semi-assault weapon ban. Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're first. Hello. Hey, hello, Jeff. Good afternoon. uh, Good afternoon. Exactly right. The fact is we can't control the behavior of every person in America and if they decide to go out and, 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 and create some mayhem. But we can't control the type of products that are sold out here on the street. You know, we we can have a recall on on babies when when on 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 seats for babies, you know, like high chairs and stuff like that. When they cause harms to babies, we can have a huge recall and and they take those things off the market. Why can't we take that type of rifle off the market, that type of gun? Just say, hey, it's not going not going to be sold or made in this country. I, well, I I mean, I think you you could. I guess the question would be. 
Would that accomplish anything? The people would argue, well, you know, again, where there's a will, there's a way, and they'll just find different types of guns, you know, and and you're you're infringing on people's rights. That, I guess, would be the argument. Well, they can they can say that, but the fact is, those those particular weapons are causing a whole lot of carnage. The fact is, when you talked about the magazines yesterday, the fact is, it it doesn't make any sense to have a, a magazine that can hold 50, 50 to, to, to 100 rounds, it doesn't make any sense for, for a normal human being who's just out here uh, uh, just trying to survive. Yeah, right. Yeah. right so yeah, I heard from all these people saying, well, we're target shooters. We like to we shoot, tar- tar- shoot targets. And I'm saying, okay, well, reload. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you you can't shoot targets. It's just take a few seconds and reload every time you shoot 10 or whatever. Yeah. But the point is, is that we can control the type of products that are sold in this country. That's that's where the, that's where we need to start. And so when we say that they're not going to be these type of rifles or these type of magazines, that's it. And if they get them another way, and whoever sold them that gun, then we 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 have remedies for that. You can we put people in jail for selling those type. We could put yeah. them in jail for selling those type of products. But no, the fact is, they need to go. Thanks for the call, Vincent. I appreciate it. Now, here, here's the real-world problem that you, you run into, and that is that there are hundreds of thousands of these type of firearms that are around. And, and the idea of, at this point in time, trying to retro... It's one, it's one thing to say, okay, we're not going to sell new ones. It's another thing to try to say, okay, we're going to retroactively ban these guns, and we're going to go around and we're going to try to confiscate guns, which I just don't think is going to happen. As a practical matter, that that's not going to happen. Moving forward... I don't know. I mean, I think it needs to at least be a dialogue that you have, which is, all right, are there certain types of firearms, which and we're not talking about confiscating them from the people that already have them, but are there certain types of firearms, which do we do we need these? OK, can you can you defend your home without this? Can you you know engage in, in deer hunting or whatever, you know, without some of these some of these types of firearms? And again, I, I think the high capacity magazines to me with all due respect to the people who disagree that's a no-brainer it's just it's a no-brainer and i don't care if you're conservative or liberal it's just tough to explain to anybody why somebody needs a magazine where you can shoot a hundred rounds without having to reload 414-799-1628 freddie in milwaukee freddie you're on wtmj yeah thanks for taking my call jeff hey yes sir you know i've called this in for two three four years already that when that obama band was expired the Republicans in the House didn't even want to take it up. Mitch McConnell said, definitely said no. But here's point number two. Just think how many more or how many less, fewer of AK-47s and AR-15s would have been stopped, would not be on the market now. And the second point I want to bring up is to stop the ammunition coming in here from Russia. All this 762 39 is coming in either from Russia or Bulgaria or China. That's all this cheap stuff that they can pick up for two, three bucks a box. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Freddie. I guess. I mean, I got to think. See, I got to think through the ammunition stuff. And I mean, I don't know that I'm at a point. Matter of fact, I'm not at a point where I'm going. Because, look, there's a lot of people that are. 
uh, that, that, again, are, are hobby shooters and things like that, and they go out to the range, and they like to shoot rounds and rounds of ammunition. And I guess I'm, I'm not at a point where I think, you know, we should limit the amount of ammunition that people can buy, and I really don't know enough about the, you know, bringing in ammunition from Russia to have a strong opinion on that one way or the other. But I, I do think this is a point in time in our country where we have to start thinking about reasonable type of measures which preserve people's Second Amendment rights, but at the same time recognize that just like the First Amendment is an absolute, the Second Amendment is an absolute. Well, what do you mean? Well, okay, well, you're, you're not, you know, you're not allowed to own a machine gun unless you get special permits and get special approval. You're not allowed to own bazookas. You're not allowed to own tanks, all right, because we've decided that, you know, you, the common citizen does not need that. Now, I'm getting, it's interesting, I, I can't read some of these texts I'm getting because they're full of obscenities. Oh, you're nothing but, you know, you're, you're just a bunch of gun grabbers. Well, no, it, it's not that. The, what you have here is you have people with extreme views on both sides. I understand that there's people on the left that would like us to suddenly do away with the Second Amendment and go door to door and try to confiscate every firearm that every person owns. Okay, that's Cookville. At the same time, I think people who say, well, there can't be any sort of limitations at all on my rights to have any sort of firearm I want and use it in any way I want, I think that's an extreme sort of position, too, and it's a non-mainstream type of position. I was at an event last night, very, very conservative people, and I was I was talking about the, this whole issue of, do you, do you need these high-capacity magazines? And I'm looking at the crowd as I'm talking about this, and I would say 70-80% of people are nodding, saying, yeah, we, we support the Second Amendment, people's rights don't guns, but yeah, it's tough to explain why somebody needs a magazine that has 100 shots. 414-799-1620. Uh, Tell you what, let me take a quick break so I don't fall too far behind. The New York Post, a conservative newspaper, the rarest of rarities, coming out on their front page saying it's time to reenact the ban on semi-automatic, quote-unquote, assault rifles. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1228. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. Join John McCure and and WTMJ at the Wisconsin State Fair this Friday to celebrate Smokey Bear's 75th birthday. Over 98% of wildfires in the state of Wisconsin are caused by humans. Join us in helping raise awareness by celebrating Smokey's birthday. Come by Exploratory Park across from the Cream Puff Pavilion this Friday at noon. Well, that's going to be cool. I wonder what they're doing with John McCure. And, and okay, on Smokey's birthday, do they have a cake with candles? I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering these sort of things. But, uh, right, that's going to be the big event on Friday. Celebrate Smokey's birthday with John McCure here at the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. Uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, the story broke. I don't know who had it first, whether the Journal Sentinel reported it themselves or the Business Journal reported it. But this has not been a very well-kept secret. Uh, Gannett which owns, that's, that's one of the big newspaper companies in the country. Um, it owns the USA Today, it owns the Detroit Free Press, the Arizona Republic, the Indianapolis Star, and it owns the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Gannett announced that it was going to merge slash be acquired by an operation called Gatehouse Media. Gatehouse Media is, again, a company that owns lots of primarily smaller newspapers, but they're going to be merging. Gatehouse Media is ultimately owned by by a hedge fund, 
And their reputation has been they acquire newspapers and then they they cut and cut and cut in an effort to try to like save money. For example, um, in the Journal Sentinel story about this, quote unquote, merger takeover, here's what they say. Together. The two companies would operate more than 260 daily news operations, far more than any U.S. news publisher, and boast potentially the largest online audience of any American news provider, which is good. But you got to read through the press release. Here's where it gets interesting. The companies estimated that they can save 275 to $300 million in annual costs within 24 months. Okay, let me stop there. How are they going to save 275 to 300 million dollars in annual costs? Well, they said the savings would come primarily from the increased scale of the new organization, sharing of best practices, leveraging existing infrastructure, facility rationalization, that means selling buildings, and other judicious cost reductions. Let me translate that into English. They figure they can save a whole bunch of money because they're going to come in and they're going to cut and they're going to cut and they're going to cut. Now, the idea is, well, partly, okay, we, we don't need two human resources departments, so we, we can just have one. And we don't need two accounting departments, we can only have one, so we can let go of all those. But the other thing has been, all right, we, we don't need as many local journalists. So what we can do is we can have a central clearinghouse, and we can run, I don't know, stories that appear in USA Today. You know, we can run variations of those in um, all these other papers that are there. There's... There's no way you can look at this news if you are a fan of local newspapers and, and not and not be worried because, I mean, again, is, is this for sure the death knell of local, particularly you know, print editions of newspapers? Well, the answer is not necessarily, but it, it's not good because what you've already seen over the last several years, not just in Milwaukee, but all across the country, is you've seen some newspapers fold, but you've seen a lot of newspapers that have been absolutely gutted because at one point in time, newspapers were a license to print money, right? I mean, you had the revenue they generated from circulation, the people that you know had the newspaper delivered to their home or bought it at newsstands, and then you had all their revenue from classified ads. Okay, when's the last time, can I see a show of hands, and anybody looked at a classified ad? I mean, classified ads... They just, for all intents and purposes, if they exist, nobody reads them. Nobody places classified ads anymore. Now you've got the Internet if you want to check out that stuff. And then, of course, you had the, the traditional people who advertise in print. But as the fewer and fewer people have read the newspapers, well, okay, their ability to advertisers, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying nobody does inserts and nobody puts ads in the paper, but it's nothing like it was 10 years ago and certainly nothing like it was 20 or 25 years ago. So when this merger takes place, I mean, they're being very clear that there is going to be more cuts, and they need to do it because newspapers just aren't generating enough revenue. As I have always said, I think now more than ever, there's a desire that people want information. But they, they want it on their terms. They they don't want to wait for the newspaper to be stuck in their, you know, below their mailbox or delivered on their doorstep. They want to be able to go online and get it. And for whatever reasons, 
and I think there's a lot, what's happened is that um, the, the newspapers haven't figured out a way to monetize that, and yet they still have all the various costs. So this is... I mean, this is the news here. Journal Sentinel, the company that owns the Journal Sentinel, and again, we I used to share a corporate identity with them. You know, a number of years ago, you had Journal Communications, which owned the newspaper and owned the broadcast group. You know, now the the that the newspaper was spun off to Gannett. Now Gannett is being taken over by again this news company that's run by a hedge fund. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to look into your crystal ball. Five years from now, and I'm picking that as a time frame, five years from now, will there still be home delivery of daily newspapers in this area and in many metropolitan areas? 414-799-1620. Now, I, I understand there's going to be a Washington Post. There's going to be a New York Times. But is there going to be a Detroit Free Press? Is there going to be an Arizona Republic? Is there going to be an Indianapolis Star? And is there going to be a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think we discuss in just a moment? If you're on the line, please hold on. Back with more from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. All right, the, the news yesterday, the, the company that owns the journal Sentinel, Gannett, has been acquired by something called Gatehouse Media, which is another large newspaper company. They own smaller newspapers as a general rule, um, but, but their modus operandi is, is cut, cut, cut. It's, it's basically a hedge fund that owns this company. And the idea is you come in and you cut to the bare bones and you try to save things, with efficiency of scale. Why do we need two reporters when we can have one reporter? Why do we need two accounting sections when we can have one? Um, There's no way you cut it. It, It's not good, regardless of how you feel about the local paper. It's not good for newspapers in this country. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. uh, Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. What what do you think? I'm sorry, what? Go ahead. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. The, the uh, paper is going to be dead in the five years, I think. What they have to do, you can't right now get the uh, journal. You can't get the brewer score from the day before. You can't get the water anywhere from the day before. you got to look on the Internet. What they have to do yeah. to redeem themselves is to, uh, I guess, go into more in-depth detail of stories that are local instead of the highlights that are, you know, highlighted on the news and get into more detail so people read into the details more. That's only the way they're going to Well, yeah, thanks to call, Mike. But uh, unfortunately, that that's not the direction that, that they're going. The, the idea is, and, and what what's happening, and it's not just the local paper; it's happening to papers all across the country. Is it costs money to hire reporters? All right. So you know, the the bottom line, if, if the money isn't coming in, what ends up happening is you you let the reporters go, and so it's more difficult. You know, it's okay. Back in the day, back in the day when I was a federal prosecutor, you had both the Milwaukee Journal, you had both and the Milwaukee Sentinel. They each had.
had a reporter assigned to the federal courthouse. Right, that that was their beat, and you had they had an office there, and they competed against each other for stories. Well, I don't know the last time that there was somebody assigned to the federal courthouse. I mean, so yeah, if there's some big, huge trial, somebody might go in and, and look in on it. But you know, day to day reporting, it doesn't happen. Same thing true with like city council meetings. Same thing true with county board meetings. It's just there's not the people there because there's not the money there anymore to support it, and I think it's only going to get worse not better. So to your point, yeah, it's going to be like this national stuff, this homogenized stuff. Yeah, that's that is unfortunately the direction where they're going and and I think that just increases. It's like a snowball that people say, "Okay, well, all right, I, I like this, but I'm I'm not getting anything out of it." 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, what's going to be the future of daily newspapers? Gone. I mean, in fact, I, I, five years, I would be surprised if they lasted that long. I mean, look at, look at it right now. Look at a lot of them. I mean, there's no content there anymore. And right. you know, there's, you know, there's, there's certain business models where you have to generate revenue. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. And if you, you know, it's, like, it's like going into a restaurant that's starting to fail. And first of all, they start cutting staff, and then they start buying cheaper food, and pretty soon it's just right. on this death spiral all the way down. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And then the thing is, you know, with the daily delivery and all that, I mean, who delivers papers anymore? I mean, that used to be a job for kids. I mean, that, that used to be a goal for kids. You know, they had to they earn money and right. stuff like that. They don't do that now. They don't even know how to ride a bike. Right, and... The- Right. And the, I mean, thanks to call. No, you're right. Thanks. And the only way I mean, and of course, the people that deliver the local newspaper, the, the only way they're able to make ends meet is they're also delivering all the other papers, the Tribune and the USA Today and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and all that type of stuff. No, I mean, I, I think there is kind of like this death spiral. And I'm not I'm not applauding it. I'm not wishing that ha- to happen. But. But it's the reality, and I, I think that what's going on now with the local paper and this merger, it's just going to lead to that. There's going to be, I predict, there's going to be fewer reporters. It's going to be more of the homogenized coverage where the stuff that you're getting in any one of these local papers isn't going to be materially different than the stuff that's in USA Today. Now, yeah, are there going to be a couple local stories? Sure, but it's not going to be this in-depth stuff that we're used to five or ten years ago. Now, you know, maybe there's going to be stuff digitally, because like I say, there's still demand for this, but to actually produce and deliver a hard copy of a newspaper is a very labor-intensive job, and fewer and fewer people are, are reading the newspaper for a variety of reasons, including the fact that, all right, does anybody under does anybody under forty, you know, other than other than if you're sitting, you know, waiting for your, you know, the oil to be changed in your car or something, does anybody even look at a newspaper if you're under forty? Scott in Milwaukee, Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking the call. I'm 53 yes, sir. years old. Okay, so I'm old. I, I'm I'm the old Gen X, but I okay. get all of my news from digital. Okay, and right. I believe that the the Journal Sentinel will will be gone by the end of of, of this next election. That'll be the big. Gone. The you big mean? And when you say gone, you mean gone in the sense of a daily new a daily hard copy of a newspaper that's yeah, delivered. Yeah, I believe it'll be just. If anything, it'll be digital, gone to funk, or it'll be Sunday only, and then shortly thereafter, that'll even be gone. Uh, the, where I get my local news, because you're talking about lo- uh, you know the local aspect of it, I get my right. local news off of Facebook, um, 
and mm-hmm. off of the television stations. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pulse, because they're they can be on top of it right away. Uh, yep. I haven't picked up. Yeah. I'll be straight with you. I haven't picked up a print media uh, magazine or uh, newspaper in well over a decade. And yep. And, and my my guess is dem- you're in in the majority. Issue. Yeah, it's a demographic. Yeah, yeah, no, I. Right, it's a demographics issue. Right. No, thanks for call, Scott. I, I don't I don't disagree. This is the battle you fight. And even those of us who grew up with newspapers and grew up learning to read with newspapers, you know, we're cutting back. I will tell you, three or four years ago, I had home delivery of five newspapers. True story. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, the local paper and USA Today. Well, it, it got to be pretty darn expensive. I mean, I understand they they were they were asking three, four five hundred dollars a year for each of these. And I just started saying, you know, I just I don't have the time to read them. Etc. Etc. Now I still, because of what I do, I have digital subscriptions, but that costs it costs pennies compared to the the actual delivery of the paper. I dropped USA Today. I dropped, and this is home delivery of the Journal Sentinel. I dropped the Chicago Tribune. I get the Wall Street Journal um, because they have like these specials where it doesn't cost that much money, but I don't pay the full boat. And I get the New York Times on weekends, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now I read all of those online, so I get all the information. And you know what is I tell people it took me, oh, about two days to get used to sitting with my laptop and reading it. And I'm an old dog, and that's a new trick that I ended up learning. Steve in West Dallas. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Hi Steve. I, I am just, um, yeah, I, I'm really saddened by the uh, uh, fact that these papers are going to demise. And yeah, I, I, I used to, I worked at City Hall, and I worked at the courthouse and i know how they had the reporters joined i so i got to know av link and uh, oh gosh there's this really nice guy from the sentinel who had the city hall run and sure. uh, you know these you know, these guys gave us detailed stories i mean today everything is whitewashed you know uh you don't read a story even victims uh, everybody's a victim of course um and uh they used to tell you so and so was shot, uh, age such and such right. from this address. They gave you the details. Right. Uh, this is what people right. want to know. Right. Well, they they covered it. You had you had you had city hall reporters. No, thanks for call, Steve. No, you're right. I mean, that's it's 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 the way the business has changed. I mean, I'm not being critical it's just a reaction it's a way that the newspapers have responded and as as again it's i like the analogy that somebody gave earlier on it's kind of like this death spiral all right you know fewer people you get you get hit by the whole internet thing and that kills classified advertising then you get the generational thing where people want the information but they're not looking at the hard copies of the paper and all of a sudden the revenue starts going down and going down and going down so what you do is you cut and the more you cut that's the fewer the less amount of information you can provide. I I just I sent out a tweet about this yesterday. I, I look. I hope for the best because I'm somebody. I I I'd love. I still like you know having a newspaper on Sunday and sitting down with a cup of coffee and reading through it. I still enjoy that. But as far as daily newspapers, I think in general they are in a death spiral. Now I'm not saying that they're going to go away entirely. I, I think what you're going to see is many more of them are going to exist in a digital form. But as far as you know, every morning you wake up and there's that paper in the mailbox. I, I'm not sure they're going to make it five years for many of these papers. Not all, but many. And candidly, maybe this news is good for investors, but it's not good for people who love uh, newspapers. Let's take a break. We've got lots more coming up on today's program. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner.
Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Mobile Studio at the Wisconsin State Fair, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Like the voice guy says, we are at the Wisconsin State Fair. Give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. There you go. Okay, that's it. I, I went out uh, during the break. I, a number of people were coming by. My old friends Steve and Patty were there, and I was getting a chance to talk to them. And a number of other folks were stopping by, Jeff and Michelle and Anna Marie. Oh, there's all sorts of folks who say they listen every day, and I very much appreciate it. All right, let's not pull any punches with this next topic. The Shorewood School Board should be embarrassed at itself. Shorewood School administrators have behaved in a disgraceful way. And candidly, if you live in Shorewood, you should be ashamed at what your school district has done. This was one of those stories when it was first reported. I, I, I remember saying, I'm not sure if I said it on the air or not, but I think I might. I said, this, this story does not make sense. There's something more going on here. And so let's hold off on the rush to judgment. And you know what? That that instinct was correct. If you will remember, early April, now Shorewood is a very, very liberal school district, and the it, it's it's had racial problems in the past, several of which have been brought on by, I think, the school board. Remember, Shorewood is where they wanted to stage the play To Kill a Mockingbird, and then um, got cold feet because, again, To Kill a Mockingbird, the great Harper Lee book, it's about a certain time in U.S. history, and the story is about a racially segregated community in the South and and the way African Americans are mistreated. Okay, And in the book, they they use the N-word, not gratuitously, but the book uses that to depict the way that, that some members of the white community, you know, viewed the, you know, viewed African Americans. All right. So Shorewood schedules this play, they advertise it and all, and then they get cold feet because, well, we, you know, we can't say this particular word. And the way the Shorewood School Board handled it was a complete and total cluster fumble. It was just a mess. So on the heels of that, and then there's been a couple other instances as well, where you've got the folks at school at, at Shorewood who are very, very uncomfortable with issues of, of race. So what happens is, there is a report last April. I'm looking at the headline in the story. Shorewood teacher allegedly asked black kids to research games played by slave children. This is the way the story, and I have it in front of me. A gym teacher from Shorewood Intermediate School has been placed on leave during an investigation into an alleged incident of racism. Shorewood District Superintendent Brian Davies, shame on him, sent a letter home to parents on Thursday, April 11th, explaining the April 1st incident. According to the letter, the gym teacher was teaching 7th grade students about games from around the world. As part of the class, the teacher allegedly suggested to African-American students that they research games that have been played by slaves, according to the letter. They say they were informed about this incident and started an investigation. All right, now this particular teacher, gym teacher, she had been in the school system for 37 years. Her name's now been made public. It's called Jan Zayron. Her name is Jan Zayron. And I, I, I've heard from a number of people who had her as a teacher. Everybody says this is a wonderful woman. 
You know, that was the initial thing, that this that there is something here that does not make sense, that somebody who's been a teacher in the school system for 37 years would all of a sudden one day wake up and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take some of the black kids in the class, and I'm going to assign you to find out games played by slaves. All right, that that was the way this was presented. It didn't make any sense. And the more you investigate, you find out the reason it didn't make any sense was that the allegations were, in my opinion, complete and total BS. All right, now here's apparently what happened. Now, and this is all part of the curriculum, right? As part of the Shorewood curriculum, what they have is they they want they want to be inclusive, and they they want the students to be taught about things that go around the world. All right, so here's what the assignment was: students were first the first thing students were do to do. And again, the, the topic this is a gym class. They're supposed to research games from around the world. Students, this was the assignment, interview a family member about their cultural background. Talk to your mom. Talk to your dad. Talk to your grandma. Talk to your grandpa. Talk to your aunt, uncle, whatever, about their cultural background. Students then had a chance to represent their own culture or to work in a group that represented that of another group's members. Okay, and the idea is, okay, here, here's, find out a game. Maybe find out a game that your grandmother played. All right, okay, you know, and again, is there something in the culture? All right, so here's what happens. So apparently you have a couple of kids that go home, and one of the groups of students, based on apparently conversations with family members, all right, come up with a game that's really, it's a version of tag, I, I guess, um, and in the game, one child pretends to be an evil spirit and attempts to catch the others. So, I mean, it's sort of a, a game of tag or something like that. So they, they, they come back and they say, okay, this is the game that we want to play. So according to the union, when one group of students selected a historic game and the game had once been played by enslaved children, but it's an historic game, and this was the cultural thing. So the kids decide, okay, this this is, you know, this is the game that we want to play. They present it to the class. Under no circumstances were the students encouraged or forced to select a game related to slavery. The assignment was find a game. You know, talk to your parents, talk to your family members, you know, talk about like a cultural thing, come up with a game and then present it to the class. And apparently a couple kids go home and this is one of the games that they came up with, which my guess is was played by lots and lots of children, but it might have also been played by slaves. So because at some point in time it might have been played for by slaves, what happens is, all right, a couple of the students get upset they, I think, overstate the complaint, and it comes out like, well, they were forced to perform. They were singled out because they were black children, and they were forced to perform a game that, you know, that slaves played. And so they suspend this teacher, you know, on, on the spot. And this is a woman who's been teaching for 37 years. Well, okay, the more the facts that come out, apparently in Shorewood, you don't want to let the facts get in a way of a, of a good, I, I don't know, rush to judgment here. And so they suspended the teacher. Um, she didn't teach, I think, for the balance of the year from when this happened in April. And then all summer long, this has been going on. And now what's happened is they have been 
for she has essentially been forced to retire. Shorewood, here's the headline: Shorewood Intermediate School teacher accused of racism has reluctantly decided to retire from the district. The future of embattled Shorewood Intermediate School teacher Jan Zarin has now been determined. At a special public meeting in August, the school board voted to formally approve an agreement which stipulates that she will retire from the district. And then it goes through this stuff, and they say, well, we have no evidence that she demonstrated that she acted out of any sort of racial malice um but they say nevertheless because this is so controversial you know we're we're going to nudge her into retirement is pretty much what happened and so i mean they're giving her an agreement they're going to pay her 60 grand before august 2nd and four future payments of $35,000 so they're going to be paying her over time and she's going to get a retirement bonus she taught for 37 years and and that's fine and by the way i i understand why from the perspective of the teacher at some point in time when you get all this thrown at you you know you're accused of racism you know you're suspended based on these allegations that in my opinion you know, had very little, if any, validity at all. I mean, I can understand why, you know, if you've been there for 37 years, you just decide, hey, life is too short. I mean, I'm going to take the money and go. But to me, this whole matter was nothing but a vicious witch hunt that was conducted by, in this case, the folks in the Shorewood School District. And instead of saying, hey, we got a 37-year employee who's been just remarkable and beloved and, you know, all these great ratings, and, and now we have this one allegation. Instead of saying, look, I, there's probably more to this, and let's stand with the teacher. What happened was, okay, we're going to cut her loose, and we're not going to stand by her, and we're essentially going to now like pay her off to retire. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess... To me, the, the larger point here, and this is in some respects, I think, bigger than you know any individual teacher at a school, but this, this to me shows the mentality that is out there when so many school districts and so many school boards, when you get allegations which are, I don't know if it's fair to say completely unsubstantiated, but really, really, really questionable, and, and yet there is this rush to judgment and this idea that okay, well, we're, we're just going to move this, we're going to move this along. We we just, you know, we can't have this teacher that has this accusation against her, even though the accusation, at least in my opinion, has no merit at all. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know, you know, school's not back in session yet. I know that the number of teachers still listen to listen to the program during you know the time off in the summer i mean i my concern is that there's more and more of this stuff that's out there and any one of these teachers in our hypersensitive environment any one of you is one unsubstantiated allegation away from being drummed out of your job and candidly I don't know why anybody, if you were teaching in Shorewood, I don't know why anybody would trust the Shorewood school administrators as far as you can throw them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, the Shorewood Intermediate School teacher accused of racism has reluctantly decided to retire from the district. I think that's, I, I mean, I don't care if she retires or not. The Shorewood School Board... And the school administrator should have apologized to her in the first place for having her name unfairly and improperly dragged through the mud. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
We're back broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Carol in Shorewood. Carol, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Carol. Hi. Hi. What do you think? Uh, I just wanted to say that I couldn't agree with you more. I called in when the story first broke back in April. And at the time when you were thinking that there was more to the story, that's what I was thinking, too. I live in the same neighborhood um, as Jan, and I know her reputation and how she has always been inclusive and a wonderful teacher. And I was thinking at the time, as you were, that there had to be more to the story. And it's just a shame because it seems to me like they did not get the facts, and they just went with this what seems sort of like a witch hunt. and Yes, it's not sort of like it was a witch hunt. And, and it damaged her reputation, and it really felt a lot like being guilty until proven innocent, and I don't know how anybody should be able to get away with that because you can't unring the bell. Well, well right. It, I mean, the, the whole thing, Carol, just oh, it sounded so bizarre that and, that a teacher. OK, maybe if this was a first year teacher or something, I could have seen it. But somebody who'd been teaching there for 35 or 36 or 37 years that out of the clear blue, she's going to single out like two African-American students and say, OK, you have to come up with a game played by slaves just on its face. That made no sense. <laughs> it, just, it was just ridiculous okay. on its face. And, and now that we know the facts, it was ridiculous. Exactly. So I mean, you know, my children both had Jans there, and and the school board had approved the curriculum for how many dozens of years before, and it just yeah. didn't ring true. It didn't make sense that all of a sudden she was trying to create some type of racist game. It it, it was just ridiculous. no. Now that the facts no, and of course, you know, I'm glad now, but it's too late to clear her name because they've already harmed her. Right, exactly. And I mean, and I understand. So now they cut this deal and they, she reluctantly retires because I, I get it. They have effectively forced her out. I understand from her perspective. Again, like I was saying it's like probably life is too short. I'm eligible to retire. They're going to pay me these sort of severance things. I've been accused of being a racist. And you know that there's always going to be somebody that's going to think that that's, that's true, you know, because they, they read the headlines of this. And so, I mean, I appreciate why, you know, she's doing what she's doing and, and you wish her the best, but it should should never have come to this, and I think it's shameful that Shore would allow that to happen. Exactly. So, no, thanks to call Carol. I, I appreciate it. I mean, it just again, and, and what's scary to me, this shows the climate. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, "Hey, I'm living, in, I'm in Wild Rose. Why do I care about what they did to some gym teacher in Shorewood?" Well, okay, here, here's the bottom line: this is the climate nowadays. It is that witch hunt climate that's out there. And today, it was the gym teacher in Shorewood. You know, tomorrow it could be the math teacher up up in you know Wild Rose or in Oshkosh or whatever, because this. Is the culture that's out there nowadays and again it's all you need is the accusation and even if the accusation doesn't end up holding water people don't care about that because like carol was saying the bell has already been rung oh you know here we and so now the school board figures well you know we have these allegations that this woman you know made this racist assignment and even though you know that's that's not true well you know if we still have her on the faculty there's always going to be people that believe there was something like that so again let's let's cut some deal and again she wasn't 
fired. I, I understand that. They cut this deal where she was, as they described, she was reluctantly retiring. I understand why she's doing it, but she shouldn't have been trashed in the first place. And this is, again, it is another shameful example. The Shorewood School Administrator should be embarrassed. The Shorewood School Board should be embarrassed. And if you live in Shorewood, you should be ashamed that your public officials allowed something like this to happen to a teacher who'd been teaching for 37 years. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back broadcasting live from the State Fair. Hey, um, there's all sorts of great places you can go to get stuff to eat at the State Fair. I want to tell you a little bit about Major Goolsby's. Now, Major Goolsby's is, of course, an institution downtown Milwaukee. I had my first legal beer in Major Goolsby's a number of years ago. And they're also an institution out here at the Wisconsin State Fair. They've got outstanding food. They've been providing food to us here during the run of the fair, and we appreciate it a lot. They've got just a wide variety of stuff. It's great. They've got great entertainment there as well. So when you're out at the Wisconsin State Fair, come see us. But then make sure you stop by and see the great folks at Goolsby's at the Wisconsin State Fair. All right. I'm I'm legitimately curious as to how you feel about this. And here here's the kind of the headline. Would you work for a place that pays you less and makes you work on Sunday? Now you might say, wait a second, Sunday's supposed to be a day of rest. I'm I'm supposed if I'm working weekends, I'm supposed to be getting overtime for working on Sundays. Well, here's the deal. Um one of the things that's going on nowadays is more and more of us are ordering things over the Internet, whether it's Amazon or, or whatever. And one of the things that we expect is we expect, like, next-day delivery. Sometimes we expect same-day delivery. This idea of waiting three or four days, no, nah, that, that's just not how the world works anymore. We want our stuff, and we want it right now. So what, what's happened is FedEx and UPS, they have now announced that as in, in, eff, in efforts to meet the demand that shippers have for, say, next-day delivery. Starting after the holidays in January, they are going to begin 24-7 delivery, including on Sundays. So it's going to be seven days a week. Now, already... There's some companies that, that do this, and, and the Postal Service, you know, helps out on this. The Postal Service will go in, and they'll say, um, the, the Postal Service will go in, and they will say, uh, okay, we're, you know, we're all set, and we're going to do this, do this delivery, and that's why you can still, you'll get some stuff on Sunday. I know it kind of surprised me, you know, when I got something delivered on a Sunday, but now both FedEx and UPS says, okay, starting after the holidays in January, we're going with seven-day-a-week delivery. All right, well, here's the problem. You know, there is a cost to this, and if you got to have people working on Sundays or you have to be paying people overtime, well, then it might become cost prohibitive. So here's what both FedEx and UPS are doing, and they're doing it slightly different ways, but it, but it's essentially you get the idea. They're going. FedEx is going to deploy Sunday delivery through its ground unit, and what they're going to be doing is they are going to be hiring independent contractors who are going to be making the Sunday deliveries. So this is going to be different than the regular people that are working like Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. And they're going to be paid about half 
of what they pay the regular drivers. UPS has created a two-tier wage system for for drivers, and what they're going to do is they're going to use the the lower-paid drivers who are going to do the Sunday deliveries. So, for example, you know... um, Let's see. The uh, you know the idea would be again you're going to make about half. Uh, FedEx normal drivers make about twenty five dollars an hour plus benefits. The Sunday delivery drivers are going to make about fifteen dollars an hour with no benefits. So I mean that that's the idea. Our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, I mean UPS and FedEx, they got the right to do whatever they want to do. I guess my question is, do you think this is going to work? Will they be able to find enough people willing to work on, for example, Sundays? knowing that they're going to make half as much as, like, the regular drivers are going to make. Are are they going to be able to staff this? Will people work for these companies under these circumstances? And I guess, obviously, what UPS and FedEx are hoping is that they're going to be able to find folks who are just looking to, you know, make an extra few bucks, and so they're going to come in and they're going to do it, and they're going to be glad that they're making $15 an hour for, you know, driving around and delivering packages. Is this business model going to work, or is it going to fail because they won't be able to find enough people to do the jobs? I've got a theory, but I'm curious as to where you come down on it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In this case, working weekends for half pay. Will people do it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Okay, you. my note says you are a former FedEx driver. Yeah, I was a FedEx driver, and I was in my mid-50s when I went there, and uh there's a lot of guys that were in their late 50s, lost jobs as salespeople like myself and that, and kind of still needed to work, but went in there. And they hired us because they couldn't find people. A lot of us were slower than the guys that are 30 years younger, obviously. And um, mm-hmm. if they couldn't find people then. Um, uh, I was with a vendor for an uh, independent contractor, by the way, when they don't offer insurance at FedEx. Those right, days. so you were like, a, that. there's a difference between what they call their express drivers and their ground drivers, and the ground drivers are, are like independent contractors, and the express well, drivers are employees, right? Well, that, that's partially true. The express drivers are employees of Federal Express, express Corporate. Right. The, the the routes are owned by independent or run by independent contractors, but I was an employee of an independent contractor. So I, they took out the taxes, they paid the Social Security, those type of things. But uh, right. they did get vacation. There's no health insurance, though. Um, so that right. wouldn't be any different from the people that are there on Sundays. They generally start people at $700 a week, and they can't find them now. So if you're telling me it's going to be half, that I, I don't see how they can they can get people. Um, right, and it's going to be working Sundays. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I was limping around with uh, two with a bad knee. I just had a knee replacement, two shoulders with torn rotator cuffs and stuff. But I said to the boss one time, I go, I'm pretty slow. Why do you, you know? I'm surprised you even hire people my age and that. And they go, Well, you show up every day, though. Well, that <laughs> they're right. No, there's there's Mark. Thanks for the call. No, there, there's a value to that. I guess. See, th- it's an interesting model, and I guess what I find to be intriguing about this is when they rolled out the thing that said, okay, you're going to have seven day home delivery seven days because that's what consumers want my big question was going to be all right how is the company going to do this um and still keep costs in line and i guess this is the issue you know under this model which obviously they're they're, they're trying to work out we're going to use drivers we're going to pay them 15 bucks an hour or whatever it is and we're going to try to get by will they find enough employees to be able to do it uh jeremy in racine as well jeremy you're on wtmj hello hi thanks for taking my call um, I yeah. think it's going to be really difficult. Uh, they're going to have to target a couple demographics, maybe young retirees who are still in pretty decent shape. They're able to get in and out of the truck, uh, collect Social Security, so they don't need a really big full-time paying job, uh, and they have their own medical benefits through the retirement. And the other flip side of that would be the younger generation, maybe the 18 through 25-year-olds going through college. They could possibly get them on board because some of them are still under their parents' insurances and they're just doing right. part-time work to fill their pockets. Other than that, I, I can see a high turnover rate. Um, it, it will be a yeah. very difficult sell. Right, and I guess that that's my only point. Now, thanks to call, Jeremy. That, that's kind of my only point is where are the people going to come from? Now, as to your point on the retirees, I, I have a friend who's been retired for a couple of years now, and he I, I tell you what he does. He, he drives... He drives rental cars, like the. And I don't think you'll mind me telling the story. I mean, he goes out like a couple times a week, and it's basically it's retired guys, and they go to a, a rental car office around here. And what they do is they they reposition rental cars. So let's say, all right, Lacrosse, you know, it's not Hertz, but I'll use Hertz. He doesn't work for Hertz, but let's say Hertz. You know, needs a bunch of cars that people in Lacrosse have driven down. They've dropped off in Milwaukee at the airport. Well, okay, they need rental cars. They need to be restocked. So, what my buddy will do is he'll drive one of these rental cars up to Lacrosse and drop it off up there. And then they have, you know, they have like a van that brings everybody back. And he does that a couple times a week. And there's a bunch of retired guys that do this. Sometimes what they do is, you know, after two years they like they like sell the rental cars. And so, you know, he'll have to drive a rental car that's going to be sold, um, you know, drive it to a dealership in Green Bay or whatever. And it's it's actually, I mean, he enjoys doing it. He likes to drive. It's a great it's a great job for somebody who's retired, and he does it a couple days a week. And, you know, a lot of other retirees, and they're very reliable, and they show up, and, and that's kind of what the business model is. I don't have any idea how much he makes, but it. But he's not doing that on weekends. He's doing that on, on weekdays. For, and there's a difference between, okay, driving a rental car to, you know, a car dealership in Green Bay or a rental car location in Green Bay, as opposed to, you know, going down to some warehouse, picking up a bunch of packages, and then, you know, being on the road making home deliveries. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, hi, Bill. I worked for United Parcel Service before, and, it, and one thing you always bragged about is we only work a five-day week. They did go to a six-day week, and now something where maybe another place is going to go to a seven-day week. I guess that might be the way it's going to happen. And then I thought again, as a college student, I work for the post office, only work Saturday night and Sunday morning, one day a week, 
And that was my only source of income. It fit. It was a perfect fit. Then I had my week to do my studies. So do you think this is going to work? If they address the college kids, it's one day a week and they get the right guy, yeah, it might work. I guess the question is, do you think the college kids want to do it? Well, they did 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, fair enough, Bill. Thanks for calling. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I appreciate it, but yeah, it's um, yeah, they did 40 years ago. I look, I, I, I'm from a consumer perspective. I hope it works. I mean, I'm I'm not wishing this thing ill a, at all. I, I hope it, it. I certainly hope it works because you know if, if this happens, I mean, I get my stuff and I, I end up wanting the the stuff. So that's that's great. I hope they're going to be able to do it. I hope they're going to be able to find people that will do it. But it's interesting. Again, it's this two-tiered kind of wage thing. And, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, one of the reasons factory workers go out on strike is they don't like the idea when these companies provo- provide and create the, the two-tiered wage system. And I think that's what UPS did. They got permission to do this in their last labor contract. So you got some workers that are making, well, actually twice as much as other workers are making for doing essentially the same job and and doing it on weekends. Now, look, nobody's holding a gun to anybody's head saying you have to work for UPS or you have to drive for Federal Express. And, I mean, if it works, it's great. But if anybody was wondering how they were going to try to make it work and how they were going to try to do it in a cost-efficient fashion, this is it. They're paying the weekend delivery drivers a lot less than the regular weekday drivers. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Mobile Studio at the Wisconsin State Fair, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Again, broadcasting live from the State Fair. It's such a pleasure. I go out during the breaks and run into so many folks who are listeners and friends who stop by. It's just always a pleasure. I love being out here, and if you haven't had a chance to come out to the State Fair, well, you've got another five days after today. I was saying this earlier. I, I, a friend of mine was irritated at me last night because um, tonight... And tomorrow night at the Associated Bank Amphitheater, which is just down the road from where I am, Peter Noon and Herman's Hermits. You know, there's a kind of hush all over the world tonight. And Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter, etc., etc. And and so I'm at this event last night, and my friend comes up to me and she says, "Well, I heard you talking about you know Peter Noon and Herman's Hermits being at the fair." And I said, "Yeah." I said. I wish you wouldn't have done that. And I said, why? And she says, because we love, we're, we're nooners. And there's like 20 of us that we come out, we go to the show. And the last thing we want you is telling the people that there's, you know, you can go, that he's going to be here. To which I said, well, sorry, Candy. It's just kind of the way the operation works. So I know a large group of my friends and acquaintances are going to be here to see that show. Um, tomorrow, of course, Rick Springfield. Um, he's going to be performing on the main stage, and Herman's Hermits are back again, so lots of choices. I, I want to give you an update and open up the phone lines on a story that we talked about about a week or so ago. To me, this is another example of political correctness run amok, and it's it's a group of guys who refuse to give in to that political correctness. And I want to discuss with you whether they're, they're doing the right thing. There is a band that was formed in 1987. It's a bunch of guys out of Georgia. They call themselves Confederate Railroad. Now, maybe you haven't heard of Confederate Railroad in a while. Their their big song is probably this one. Maybe we'll play it if uh, Grew back in the station can find it again. It, it's called Trashy Women. That that's that's their big 
song, okay? But, and right now, they're, I mean, look, they're, they're not headlining at the amphitheater at Summerfest. Confederate Railroad, they play, they play state fairs. They play county fairs. They play, you know, bars and things like that. But, but you know, they've been together if relatively intact since 1987. So, Jeff, why are we talking about Confederate Railroad? Well, okay, Confederate Railroad, the logo for the band, because the band is called Confederate Railroad, the logo for the band, it's like a circle, and then there's a big old train, and the train is kind of like coming out towards you if you're looking at the logo. And I hope you're sitting down for this because I don't mean to shock you too much. But it's got two Confederate flags on the train. Okay, so that's that's the steam train, et cetera, et cetera, with the Confederate flags. Okay, and the band's been around, that I mentioned, since 1987. And they've got, they've had modest degrees of success, but they're still playing music for, you know, for decades and decades. So they have now suddenly become controversial because, not because of the music, but because of their name. And they have been booted in the course of the last couple weeks from multiple county-slash-state fairs. One in, in Illinois, they were booted from playing, and one in New York. They were booted for playing because the people that organize these state fairs say that their logo, which depicts a steam train flying dual Confederate flags, is a division of, as a symbol of division and racism. And how can we, in 2019, how can we have a band that performs in a public venue that, that has, has a steam train with a couple Confederate flags on it? How can we allow them to perform in a public venue? And so these two public venues have, have canceled them. All right. So now they've got a number of different choices that are out there. I mean, from the band's perspective, especially if this thing kind of takes off, the question becomes, all right, is this really going to hurt their business? Do they need to change? Because they're, they're used to playing like these county fairs and stuff. And now if all across the country we simply decide that we we cannot have the name Confederate Railroad. And, oh, my goodness, the fact that there's Confederate flags as part of their logo. Oh, people are just going to be upset. People aren't going to be able to handle this all. Oh, my goodness, we're going to need therapy. I mean, the question becomes, is this going to end the band's business? So, interestingly enough, the lead singer and one of the founders of the band, his name is Danny Shirley, um, he, he, he's issued a statement about this. And he said, look, here, here's the deal. I am who I am. We do what we do. I've been performing for more than 43 years, and I've never seen anything like this. Through that time, me and the boys have been out playing for and connecting with audiences around the world with everyone having a good time. That's what brings people together. Lately, there have been a few officials who decided they didn't want anyone to see us. But I've truly been humbled and overwhelmed by the outcry from the fans and our fellow artists saying they really want to do see us. Look, if you don't want to come see us, it's your choice. We're listening to you. You'll just miss out on a darn good time. To the fans who have stuck with us over the years, though, thank you very much. You know who we are. We look forward to seeing you again soon. I am who I am. We will keep doing what we do. The name of the band ain't going to change. If you've never seen us before, maybe this is the time to come out and see what this is all about. So in other words, the guy who's the lead singer is essentially saying to some of these bookers and some of these public venues, to heck with you. You know, we're not giving in. We are not changing to fit your tastes. 
Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. i got to tell you, I think this, this Danny Shirley guy, I think he's one of my heroes this week for not giving in to the politically correct and the perpetually offended, for not giving in to the snowflake society that's out there that says, we can't book these entertainers in a venue because people won't be able to handle the fact that they've got a logo that has a steam train with Confederate flags on it. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot tell you how 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 much I applaud this band by saying, you know, we're not giving in to, you know, to this force that's out there. And to me, if there's anybody that should be embarrassed, it's the bookers at the county fair in in Illinois or the fair in New York. This idea that, oh, gosh, we have to censor these artists because, well, people can't handle the fact that they've got a Confederate flag that's on the logo. 414-799-1620. I mean, after all, we're talking entertainers. We're not debating whether the Confederate flag should fly over the state house in South Carolina. We're talking about a country rock band, a bunch of guys from Georgia who, yes, the symbol has been a train with the Confederate flags. 414-799-1620. All right. To me, this is much ado about nothing, and I'm glad the band is not backing down. If you're on the line, hold on. We'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That's probably the the most recognizable hit by the band uh, Confederate Railroad. But, you know, they're they're not getting tossed out of venues and having their contracts canceled because, hey, they play a song like Trashy Women. Oh, that's terrible. No, it's the name and the logo that's killing them. And to me, look, the the band says, look, if you don't like us, that's fine. If you're not going to book us, that's fine. But we're not changing. Tyler in Illinois. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hello. Hi, Tyler. Hi, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Well, I think that um, this, I mean, displaying Confederate symbols could be more of an artistic statement than anything, and I think that they should be allowed to display such symbols. Yeah, and I got to see Tyler. What scares me about this is you're you're right. It's it's an artistic symbol. It's the history of, of the band. Absolutely. Where do we draw? The, you know, where do we draw the line? You know, some. I mean, you know, for a while, some people were upset about you know lyrics of rap music. You know, that might be misogynistic or, or whatever. Okay, and right. so whenever we talk about censoring that, people get upset. But but now you you can censor this band because you don't like their logo. It's it's a very dangerous path to start going down i agree i agree and a lot of countries deny these kind of harsh histories they have and therefore they are more doomed to repeat said history in my opinion yeah no thanks for call i, I mean i appreciate you joining us again it's and, and look i 
Okay, the the, perp, the the band is just there to have fun. They're they're a country rock band. They were formed in in 1987, and I think this they're it's based on this the steam train that's in their hometown or something like that. But but regardless, it, it's this idea that okay now it's 2019 and we've got these snowflakes that are out there that are so offended that it's not they, they just they just can't handle the idea that some band is going to be on stage and you know they might be wearing t-shirts or have a logo in the backdrop that has this thing that has a Confederate flag on it. Well, I mean, where, where do you draw the line? Does this now mean that if you go to, I don't know, we're not going to be able to teach the Civil War in high school because we've got to sanitize all the textbooks because somebody might, you know, see a Confederate flag? I look, I mean, here, here's the bottom line of all this, at least as far as, as I'm concerned. If you don't like the band, okay, don't go. And if they don't think the band has a following or they don't think the band is going to sell tickets and nobody's going to come out to see them, well, okay, fine, you know, don't book them. I, I understand that. But if it's, if it's just... If it is just this idea that, oh, you know, this is some of the imagery that they use, okay, do we really want people now, like like I say, censoring imagery? Do we really want people looking at, okay, this is what's this particular band, let's look at some of the images that they're going to put up, you know, as a backdrop, and that's what we're going to use to decide as to whether or not they should be able to perform. And again, I want to be real clear here. To me, this isn't an issue about how you feel about the Confederate flag or you know whether you think it should be displayed on t-shirts or not this is to me about whether a band that incorporates this in their name should be banned from playing various venues and I don't see this as a conservative liberal sort of position I think this is kind of a, a the ultimate sort of free speech thing and like I say I mean individuals you've got the ultimate right if you decide oh I'm offended by Confederate Railroad and I'm offended by this imagery and you decide you don't want to go to the show because of that or you don't like their music or you just got something better to do go with God that that's fine but this idea that no we, we can't even expose people to this because again you're going to have some snowflake that's just not going to be able to process it and they're going to need to just I don't know go to their you know safe space room because Confederate Railroad is coming give me a break this is Jeff Wagner it's 225 Jeff Wagner on WTMJ We're back broadcasting live from the State Fair. All right, have a text here. Jeff, what is your opinion of having the flag of the Third Reich on a band's poster or promo material? Well, my opinion would be that that's an extremely bad taste. I I can't imagine any circumstance at all under which I would buy that logo, and in all likelihood, I would choose not to go out and see the band perform. All right? But would I say that that band should be banned from performing, all things being equal, performing at a particular venue, um, my, my answer would be I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Now, my guess is if you've got somebody that's, again, coming out with Nazi symbolism, and I'm, I'm not sure that the analogy is the same with what we're talking about with the Confederate flag, but let's leave that aside for a minute. My guess is that unless you've got people that are really, really, really whacked out, the vast majority of people aren't going to, just like my position is, you know, aren't going to want to go see a band that's reveling in, again, German, you know, like Nazi imagery. And I I think so that's going to kind of take care of itself because people aren't going to just go out and, and attend it. That's not what Confederate Railroad's all about, though. People go and they want to see the show. So, um, again, the forces of political correctness are out there. 
interestingly yesterday i got a lot of i got a lot of input from we were talking about again after the, the tragedies in dayton and el paso over the weekend there was of course it seems like all these people who wanted to be president they were just almost pushing each other out of the way to get in front of a microphone to say okay th- this is all because it's all because of president trump and it's the rhetoric of, of president trump and as i said yesterday while i while i i would I would much prefer that President Trump dial down some of the the stuff that he has said over the last couple of years. I think it is extremely unfair to, for example, you know, blame him for the acts of some psychotic shooter. Um, and some people agreed and some people disagreed. The interesting thing today is, is now more details are emerging. And it appears the shooter in, in El Paso was, in fact, a white supremacist who, you know, had his manifesto that he published on, you know, one of the, these hate, you know, websites and things like that. In contrast, the Dayton killer, what was not? The, the Dayton killer, apparent Dayton killer, was apparently a, a big supporter of Democratic politicians. His Twitter profile reads, um, he describes himself as he, him, anime fan, metalhead, leftist. Um, he writes, this is America, guns on every corner, guns in every house, no freedom but to kill, um, vote blue for God's sake, and apparently he's an express supporter of Elizabeth Warren. Now, I, I bring this up because, okay, I, I hope nobody goes out and blames Senator Warren for what this guy did in Dayton and the fact that he was apparently a supporter of Democrats and a self-described left, leftist and a self-described, like I say, supporter of Elizabeth Warren. I, I, to, to say, oh, well, you know, because he was a supporter of her and because she's been critical of, you know, the current administration, you know, that motivates him to go out and shoot people, that would be silly. And I would hope nobody would say that. But is it really any sillier to say that you We've got some psycho down in El Paso who does the same sort of thing, and because... Okay, he's motivated by his bizarre, twisted, pathological attitudes, and he's a white supremacist, that that means that, oh, it's President Trump that was responsible for that. No, I mean, Elizabeth Warren isn't responsible for what happened in Dayton, and Donald Trump isn't responsible for what happened in El Paso. The people that are responsible are the guy that was the shooter in El Paso and the guy that was the shooter in Dayton. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We always do this a couple times uh, a program. Here, give yourselves a round of applause. There we go. A particularly an especially attractive crowd, by the way. I mean, I, I, I monitor the crowds that, that show up for different shows, and by far, the people that show up for the Wagner program, you are by far and away the best-looking folks that, that come out you know, to, to the State Fair. So I, I appreciate that quite a bit. There's just no doubt about it. And if you're coming out to the State Fair, be sure and stop off. Uh, we start early in the morning. Steve's Caffiti starts at 8.30, and I'm here from noon until 3. And then uh, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, uh, Melissa's in the booth with me right now. We're just starting to get... Starting to get settled. Okay. It's, it's interesting now because, you know, earlier on the program we were talking about newspapers, and, and one of the things that's led to the decline of, of newspapers has been their revenue model has just fallen off. It's just fallen off a cliff. It used to be with newspapers you had people who paid for the papers. You had paid circulation, and then you had print advertising, and then you had, um, you, you had the classified ads. Well, that whole, nobody buys, nobody pays classified ads anymore. I mean, that's just not what you do. So they've lost that. 
that circulation has gone down as young people don't read the paper, so they can't charge as much for advertising, and it's been kind of this like vicious circle. Well, okay, TV deals with the same sort of issue. Now, let me just ask, does it seem like there's more, think about it, it seems like there's more ads on TV lately? You know, when you watch TV, not not just regular TV, but like basic cable, do you, do you think that, you know, you're maybe you're seeing more commercials? And if you think the answer is yes, well, you're not imagining it. I have a story in front of me from the L.A. Times. And the L.A. Times, because of Hollywood and stuff, they, they kind of monitor the entertainment industry. And what they're finding is that the amount of commercial time on cable TV keeps increasing. And that's despite years of promises to cut back on ads. Last quarter, the commercial time rose 1%. And and why they're saying this is happening is that as, as TV viewership is declining and more consumers are like jumping to streaming services like Netflix and things like that, what, what's happening is fewer and fewer people are watching cable TV or whatever. And so the rates they're able to charge aren't as great because not as many people are watching. So how do they make up that, that difference? Well, they're making up the difference by sneaking in more and more commercials. So, okay, you get a decline in ratings, so we can't charge as much money, but I know what we'll do. We'll sell more and more commercials. And so what's happening now is you've got the consumers that are saying, okay, wait, we, we seemed, maybe it's just us, but gee, it, it seems like there's longer commercial breaks. It seems like there's more advertising than ever, which interestingly enough to me, Kind of is that that because the more and more you know people have nothing but commercials, the more and more likely they are, I think, to try to explore other things like those streaming services. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a TV watcher, right? Have you noticed? more commercials on cable and on, I guess, regular TV as well. And do you find it distracting? Now, one of the things that, again, the advertisers are dealing with is more and more of us, um, you know, we, we just DVR the shows, and you kind of fast forward through the commercials, which is a whole different kind of issue. Um, but I will tell you, there are some shows that I watch, and I'm a big fan. Of, I hate to admit this, but I'm I'm kind of a big fan of junk TV. I love watching the shows like Pawn Stars and Gold Rush and all that type of thing, or Deadliest Catch, or and the list goes on and on. But there are things where it, it seems like, you know, there there's six or seven minutes of commercials, and then you come back and there's three or four minutes of, of programming. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you noticed more commercials? And if so, is it maybe making you rethink, you know, your viewing habits? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you if you think you're seeing more, you're not going crazy because that that's the truth. That's what's happening. More and more commercials being stuck in. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. Give Gru back in the studio an opportunity to line up the calls. We will be back to discuss in just a moment. Is this going to be a downfall of cable and over-the-air TV? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A large and nice-looking crowd gathered around our booth here at State Fair. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. You know, a lot of people talk about how more and more people are, are cutting the cord and they're they're just, you know, getting rid of their, like, cable TV service. And by that, I include, like, the dish service as well. And, and obviously, the, the number one factor is cost. But what a lot of experts think is the number two reason is the proliferation of commercials, especially with younger people who just i mean they're they're used to the direct streaming world or watching tv ad free on netflix and all of a sudden you put more and more commercials in like they're doing and it ends up turning people off frank in bayview frank you're on wtmj jeff thanks good afternoon i'll be brief uh i'm in my early 40s i can i can when i think back remember to four six ten twelve eighteen twenty four and thirty six Basic cable comes along. It's a buck a month. There's almost no commercials. They sold it on that premise. You know, more right. and more, I agree, there are more commercials. The one thing that frustrates me the most, Jeff, is when there's a commercial on the program I'm watching, I say, okay, I'll flip through and see what else is on or whatever else looks good. It seems to me they're all collaborating to put commercials <laughs> in the same at the same time. Right, you know so you, you get tired of waiting. You go to try to find something else, and you're just watching another commercial. Thank you very much. No, I, I got it. Jeff. Thanks for call, Frank. No, I no, I appreciate it. And here's and here see, here's the other issue that they have. It's it's also it's the length of of the breaks. because um, because here's the thing, and, and this is what I notice. Okay, so I, I've admitted I I like some of the junk T V shows. I like what I Deadliest catches on Tuesday nights. Gold Rush, you know, when it's in season, it's on Friday nights and stuff. But what you have is you have these interminable breaks. It's not just like there's two minutes. It's like you've got six or seven minutes. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, I, I just... I just I can't wait that long, and that's what even if I like the show, that's what drives me to the remote. And I admit I've got the you know attention span of a fruit fly. I, I mean that's I know Melissa's laughing, but it, but it's but it's true. I mean I I'm one of these guys that I sit there with the remote control, and I know this is one of many of the things I do that drive my lovely wife nuts. But even if I like what I'm watching. Okay, I'm, I'm always looking to see maybe there's something better that, that's on, or I'm bouncing around the different things. I mean, I'm just I'm just deadly, and I with with that remote. And when you have these like interminable breaks, and I think that's what's what I really notice is that they've they've lengthened the amount of breaks and reduced the amount of shows to the point that and I mean I have Netflix. I don't watch it as much as I watch some things, but it's like oh my gosh, you know if I'm if I got to go to the bathroom or something, I got to pause this. Whereas if it's a basic cable show, hey, you know I I know I've got six or seven minutes to go to the bathroom. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff. Well, Jeff, Jeff. Hi, hi, Jeff. What's that? No, go ahead. I, we, we just brought you up now, so go ahead. Start over. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, I am noticing a lot more in shows like um, Fear the Walking Dead, Snowfall, and Animal Kingdom. But I don't think it's a huge deal because I just DVR them and then I'll start watching them 25 minutes after they start. And then if I do that, I usually can time it so I'm done when they would be finished anyway. And, and then well, yeah, I, I mean, rather... it, it does drive you to DVRs. There's no question about it. It, it. And you can just fast forward through those commercials. Yeah, and then I would much rather do that than to pay like some kind of a premium fee to watch watch these shows like I would if, like on HBO or like Showtime. Yeah, well, thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I admit, I, um, okay, so, I mean, a lot of times, let, let's take, I, I keep going back to the show that runs on Friday nights, it's Gold Rush, that I kind of like. You know, I go out 
I'll, we'll go out to dinner, fish fry or something on a Friday night. So I'll just set it. I'll DVR it. I'll come back, and then like an hour later, I'll be able to watch the thing. And it's an hour show. I can watch it like in 35 minutes. And I, I do I, – I only bring this up because – you know, the, the TV networks promised that they were going to de- decrease the amount of commercials. That's not what's been happening in reality. And, I mean, I understand the ec- economics of it is, you know, they're adding more in, again, because, in general, people are watching less TV, or at least they're watching less of a particular TV program. And so... You know, from an advertising rate, they can't charge quite as much. So how do you make that up? Well, you add more commercials. Uh, here's a couple texts. Jeff, what gets me is the nightly news. When you wait through five minutes of commercials, then there's a 30-second news story followed by another five minutes of commercials. Drives me nuts. 414-799-1620. Um, let's see. Here's another text. Uh Hold the text up here. I told yesterday, I told my wife we should cancel cable. It's worse than ever with commercials. And YouTube TV now has local channels and sports. You know, which brings, you know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, for, for people who wonder why sports always kind of got a premium and 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 yeah it's because there's a lot of sports fans and you know people want to watch the Packers games and things like that but one of the things that goes on is sports as a general rule is one of the few things that people can't DVR if I or or at least they, they can but they don't want to DVR it I mean if okay if the Packers are playing on Sunday People want to watch the Packer game. Now, I understand if you're somewhere and you can't be there, okay, maybe you know you DVR it and you'll watch it at home. But with sports, it's a common experience. You want to watch the game live. You want to know what's going on. And so people, as a general rule, you know, watch it live, which means they're going to be watching the commercials live, whereas... You know, some other show, a regular TV show, does it matter if you watch it at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock? Probably not. So what you end up doing is, okay, you can DVR it, skip through all the commercials. You don't do that with sports. So in any event... This this is an issue that's kind of out there, and the TV networks are wrestling with it. On the one hand, we want more revenue. On the other hand, we understand that we're turning off more and more viewers, particularly younger viewers, and those those are the eyeballs that we end up needing. Is that going to cause them to make a change? Time will tell. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, John McCure is going to be here. Melissa Barkley's here. We're going to talk about the Wisconsin State Fair and what they've got coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. So please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.